Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome to Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V in line right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh, and I am here once again with the governor, an all-time great at nose tackle with 32 and a half sacks in the NFL. But it's not just the pro career because he's a member of both the Texas High School Hall of Fame and the Hall of Fame for the SMU Mustangs. All pro with the Detroit Lions. It's Jerry Ball. How's it going, Jerry? Hey, man, it's going good, Jack. You know, we're here on another Monday, you know, to talk about our Lions and stuff and, you know, uh, try to reinforce the support that we have for them. But, you know, but it was another tough day. But, hey, guess what? Even though it was a tough day, our friends over at Bet Online were still taking bets. Why don't you tell our friends about Bet Online? It's just the best place you can go for any wager you have. You have new web interface for the rest of the NBA season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. So head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your bonus. That's B-L-E-A-V-5-0. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And when this game started, we didn't actually run a play because the Denver Broncos decided to run a tribute to Demarius Thomas. And we would like to start things off by sending our love, our thoughts, our prayers, and our support to the family and friends of Demarius Thomas, the Denver Broncos legend who passed away early last week. Yeah, we definitely want to send our condolences. And actually uh, he, he, uh, some of his family, actually his uncle, and cousin actually lived four doors down from me. And my kids was raised with his cousins. So not only is it something from a fraternal aspect of being a ball player, losing someone from our great fraternity, but it was also a loss to someone of friends and family that is close to our family. So it was definitely tragic. And and I ended up speaking with 
right after we had did the show last, the preview show. And uh, I didn't know at the time that he had passed. So I called him and said, hey, man, did you? He said, yeah, man. He said, I knew. I didn't know how you guys ran the show. I said, man, listen, man, we would have gave time for that. So just for you guys know, you know, last week we didn't know that he had passed. But had we known, we would have given the proper respect and time to that. Uh, but what he did say is that uh, Damaris had had an auto accident and he had been having seizures. And when um, they had come to the Hall of Fame event this year, he had in his phone some pictures of him having a seizure. And he showed that to the guys. And it was like Ray Crockett, Steve Atwater. Well, anyway, let me not get into because that's a private conversation. But he was having no struggles with the seizures. And what happened was said is that he had a seizure in his shower. You know, and he was there alone. You know, so, you know, but it is, it is a tragedy, you know, but it was coming on from the onset of an auto accident that he had had you know, and these reoccurring seizures. Yeah, just a sad situation all around. And so the Broncos start the game with 10 men on the field. They leave Demarius's ex-receiver spot vacant. Lions decline the penalty as well for the delay of game. And apparently that was something that had been worked out pre-game. Broncos head coach Vic Fangio had called Dan Campbell a couple days before to ask him if if he would be okay with that, if it was it something was it, it, was it was classy, was and some things are bigger than football, so it was just nice to see. No doubt. That's the organization you want to be and you want to root for. Yep, yep, and then even with, you know, our family there in Oxford, you know, even though we'll talk about the games, but let me tell you something, that that tragedy is still with the Slines community, and we hadn't forgotten our fans and our family as well. And we feel for those folks and we will eternally be tied to it and praying for them. Yes, we will be. And hopefully we can bring some joy in these tough times and talk some Lions football and just create a sense of community around the Detroit Lions who are doing some really good things. So we're proud of them for their off the field work. They're on the field work, unfortunately, was not so good this past weekend. It felt to me a lot like the Bengals loss where there just was not. It was flat. There's no. Yeah, it was real flat. Yeah, go ahead. Is that that something that happens after a big win, though? Or, (sighs) You, you know, sometimes, you know, it's like that celebration before you get to the championship round, right? Whereas you, you're popping bottles of champagne as if you've arrived. You know, it was one win. And, you know, of course, with the, the get the bird, I know the being ecstatic, but the thing that a coach and a team would have to do is come back and focus. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the win that one day, but get back to work and focus, but set a standard, you know, so that you're not flat, you know? And, you know, so I think that, again, you know, I'm not, you know, coach is responsible. 
You know, he he was supposed to have the team ready. He even said himself at like the defensive line, he don't feel that they played particularly well. And he said that he needs better performance from them, you know. But at the same time, you know, the flatness, it, it looked like it was a for them like they were going through the motions more than trying to execute a play. They run in the play, but they're not running it with the efficiency and the sharpness that you can see it. Every now and then, with the exception of Reynolds. Yes, I was wondering how long it would take for you to give the but first the exception of that young man right there. Listen here, DeAndre Swift and Reynolds, that one-two combination, and Williams. I like you as a back. I'm not shooting you down, brother. But I think if you look at how the offense moves when those two backs are running the ball, it's very efficient that ability of catching the ball outside the backfield, running routes and stuff, with this system, that's what they need. But anyway, we'll talk about that a little later. But I would just say, you know, what Coach was saying, you know, he he himself know that he didn't really get them where they needed to be and didn't respond well. Definitely. And it was one of the emphases after the Vikings win that we couldn't let that happen. And then it did happen. And, Part of it could be all of the illness and injuries in the Lions locker room right now. They had six players inactive with COVID, seven players from the practice squad, and then just look at all the players that had the flu. We had three offensive linemen dealing with the flu. We had our center out with COVID. We had all – these are the defensive linemen that were dealing with the flu. We've got Charles Harris, Ali McNeil. John Penasini, Michael Brockers, Nick Williams, Levi on Wuzuriki. Yeah. The only healthy yeah. defensive lineman was the practice squad guy, Kevin Hector, that they just pulled up. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. 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 And, 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 and be honest, you know, in the human element, that I'm sure had some factor in it. But when it goes down in that record book as a loss, they're never going to come back and say, oh, man, that's the game that we had six guys with flu, COVID, oh, nine, da, da, da. Because, man, you know, in the NFL, it's a short memory, you know? <laughs> the only time people talk about your flu games is if you have the flu and you absolutely ball out like Michael Jordan. Apparently, that was Jared Goff's case last weekend. He says he was sicker against the Vikings than this past weekend against the Broncos, which doesn't really bode well. Well, I I can tell you this. If he was, then I I give him a lot of credit because, you know, as a player that has played with a migraine headache, uh, with a stomach virus, a championship game too. Ooh. And and when I tell you what's required in the mental toughness to, you know, run your head, the migraine headache, I was really trying to knock myself out. So I was trying to bang my head and knock him out, you know, and I made a a hit on the guy and the ball pops up and we take it and end up guy scored and we win the game. But that is a hell of a thing when you're sick and you have to play at that level at any sport. 
that that's a lot of mental toughness and fortitude for a guy that can do that. Real talk. And I'm not just saying it because of my story, but I'm just saying for anybody. No kidding. Especially at the nose when you're leading with your head and taking all those hits. It's, exactly. it's a war every play. What what uh, championship game was that or what playoff game was that? It was, the, it was literally the high school championship game. It was the five-way state championship. I was a fullback, linebacker, and defensive tackle. Ooh. And when halftime came, all I could do is go to sleep. And then I got up, finished the game, and we win the state championship. And then from Houston to Beaumont, Texas, is like an hour drive. And I didn't even remember us. All I remember is laying on the walkway of the bus, and everybody is above me just having fun. And all I could do is just sleep because I was like sick, dog sick. I go when we get to the stadium, you know, people are jumping on me and stuff like that, and they don't know I'm sick, <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, you don't have to be like that. And I just stopped at the door and I look because I want to be a part of it. And I was like, mama, take me home, take me home. And, you know, then I was calling for my mama. <laughs> Jerry Ball, just a mama's boy at heart. Uh, mama, I said, Mama, take me home. Take me home. She said, okay, baby. All right. I walked to the car. Well, actually, my brother went and ran and got the car and brought it up so I could just walk up to the curb. But shoot, man, I was, as they say, I was hit. That's the worst. I've, and I played against the University of Texas one game. I was sick. I threw up with my hands down in a three-point <laughs> three point stand. <laughs> yeah. And, oh. and, and I wasn't out of shape. I was literally sick. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this, and, and I know all these little sidebar stories and stuff be having us going off into Yellowstone Park, and there is the Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, uh, in the blue-gray game, I pulled my groin on both sides and still played in the game. And, and I played okay. And people say, oh, man, such and such handled him, you know, because, you know, they expected me to kind of run through him. But what they didn't know is that I had pulled both my groins, like, in, in practice and in pass rush drills. And, you know, you got the other – you got the pro coach. Don Shuler is our coach. All right. So yeah. I'm like, I'm whatever it is, I'm not about to slack off with Don Shula standing right there. I want him to see me. Right? But I was working against myself. But that was a game that was hard because I really couldn't run, couldn't push off and stuff, but I had to fight through it. You know, the time that I, you know, I think they told me I was going to play so many plays and then alternate. And I said, man, let me get my plays and get out. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> I can only imagine just both groins sprained. You have to, it, that just had to be an upper body battle for the rest of the day. All right, listen, ladies, this is not for you. <laughs> but guys, you know those muscles on both them sides is pulling at, you know, at the moon. All right. <laughs> 
So when I tell you, man, I had my knees locked for for days. I couldn't open them. I'm like, nah, uh-uh. I got pain. Pain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Jerry. And and one question before we do move back to the game. When you did throw up on the field, you, you didn't get pancaked into it, did you? No, I did not. Good. But guess what? Guess what? I did get pancaked. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got pancaked on that play, too. And the guys say, ooh, <laughs> you know, oh, shit. <laughs> but he had to block me. <laughs> Hands slipping off the jersey. Oh, no. Ugh. Well, those sound like some battles. I got to know, though, against the Broncos, what's the toughest battle you've had against a player for Denver? Who was the baddest Bronco that you ever faced? Mark Slarit. Cool stink? Yeah, man. Yeah. And with the Redskins. You know, I played with him. But when he was on that Bronco line, he made it. He made him good. That's real talk. That's the only person I worried about was him, and wasn't worried about. But I had, I, I had to know. I had, I, I knew I had to tighten my chin strap up that day. <laughs> He's gonna hit you hard too. And then was he a talker on the field? Because I know he no quiet no. man, quiet. Listen, but let me tell you, he was like. If you was running into a Ford Mustang with the engine up front, a big block. Yeah. So it's like you can you can hit a Ford that don't have a Mustang that don't have big block, and you can <clears throat> and kind of get it moving. But if you got a big block in on the front end of that, that's how Slurric felt like he was hitting a big block engine every damn time, and he was strong coming back at you between. You know, and I put him in the definitely the top five. Ever. That's yeah. high praise. Listen, Randall McDaniel, Bruce Matthews, Slarick, Larry Allen, Steve Wisniewski at a level okay. was as good as those guys, too. But I don't think he he played enough where everybody got to see him because he he's seems like he's one of the more, more forgotten players in NFL history on the line, which yeah. is a, a damn shame because he was talented. Yeah, yeah. Steve Wisniewski was a good one, and I'm talking about people that you know when we battled, we we were equally strong. You get what I'm saying? So it was a lot of stalemate type shit. So whoever had the better technique. Had was the better technician would win the play. All right, you know, so that's kind of the type of game you expect. But but if you can keep them tied up at where well, really they try to keep you tied up. But if you can maintain where you holding the line of scrimmage, playing against those guys, you doing your job because everybody else they knocking them off for the film. <laughs> <laughs> It's the old saying, an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, and Jerry Ball just maintaining that gap integrity up the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Taking those double hits, but that's okay. But back to the Lions and the Broncos and stuff, you know, a guy that can play through the injury is tough, and I think that says a lot about Jerry. That's where yeah. 
style. Definitely. He's he's shown some toughness and some courage these last couple weeks from Jared Goff. Only 215 yards passing, a touchdown, and an interception. So you look at the numbers, it doesn't paint the whole picture of what he was working with. An undrafted rookie center. He's got his third or his fourth and his fifth string running backs in the game. The fourth string running back fumbles, which puts them in a bad position. It's just really it's Craig Reynolds and it's a Monroe St. Brown. Those are the two guys on offense, 73 yards from a Monroe, but this offense is going to need a lot of talent in the pass catching game going forward. Cause we've talked in the past. I think Deandre Swift, Amon Ross St. Brown. Those are our two focal points. We're now going to add Craig Reynolds into that and maybe Josh Reynolds. I'd like to see him back yeah. out outside of that. There's a lot of question marks in this passing game. Yeah. Yeah. I think Josh Reynolds is for where the Lions are right now. He's the best receiver that they have in terms of, you know, that real down threat. I think they're still, you know, playing one-on-one with, you know, the other guys and stuff. But I would say that the two backs and those, ain't that some two rentals, the two rentals are swift, you know, that worked. And then we've got the big <laughs> offensive line to build behind too. There, there's stuff to like for Detroit going forward, but what kind of receiver? I'm not asking for names and such. More play style. So you've got the big X receiver like Calvin Johnson. You've got the smaller slot like Golden Tate. What build of receiver do the Lions kind of need right now to put things together? You know, I think if they can get a possession receiver first, mm -hmm. okay, and here's why I say a possession receiver, like a Chris Carter, right? Yeah. All right. The possession game is the efficiencies of third down. That's where he has to shine. Okay. I think St. Brown can be a big hit guy, meaning he can he can run the deep ball. He can run some deep routes. I think Reynolds, I think Reynolds is a good possession but medium route runner i don't see him as being you know that nine route threat which is you know a go route where his team are gonna you know make the safety have to stay back but i think you first get a possession receiver because you don't have a quarterback that's going if it's jared as quarterback you don't have a quarterback right now that can even really efficiently throw the deep ball with a lot of success so you get him a possession receiver and let him build his confidence and build the culture of what you're trying to make that offense by having a possession receiver there. Now, if he's not the quarterback, whatever quarterback comes in has a possession receiver to start with until you can get your home run ball, the Randy Moss type, right? And you see, and, and Calvin was more of a home run ball. Golden mm -hmm. Tate is more of a situation possession receiver, but Golden to me is the slot receiver. Mm -hmm. He's not the possession receiver. The possession receiver to me is is the guy that's going to be on the outside, like Calvin. 
Mm. Okay. I put Calvin, I put the hit home run hitter on one side that can run the nine route. And I put the other possession receiver on the other side. And then I have Golden Tate in the slot with the tight end instead of two tight ends. There and then I move the tight end over with Golden and I run some trips. Or I move Golden over there and run trips that way. That way, no matter one, either the tight end or Golden, I can trip. I can go on the trips on any any uh, attack anyway, and I can walk up as a quarterback and call for it and make that adjustment by say check thirty six, check thirty six, or whatever the check is to let him know we're gonna trip over here. That I right, Golden, I'm gonna move you over. Hargis, and I'm gonna move you over here. So. That's how I would start building that receiving core. And then, you know, coming back, you know, I'm going to start using moving the running back over to that slot where I have gold in that. Yup. You know, so now I got that mix. So now you're going to play the personnel for gold and looking for him on third down. Now nah, we're going to stay with the regular formation, but we're going to take the fullback out. We're going to drop him off over here, Swift or Reynolds. <laughs> what Golden would be doing in motion. Now we mixing it up. But that's anyway, that's how I would build it. Well, and that's what I was hoping here too is these these versatile pieces, but you have to have that guy that you can trust on the outside. You have to give Jared Goff his Robert Woods that he had yep. with the Rams. That guy who can get open, can do it all, and make the tough play. Because Jared Goff likes to see his receivers open. He struggles a little bit when he's throwing those jump balls, it seems like. Much like yep. Teddy Bridgewater in Denver and it's kind of complicated with him. He plays a good game. He throws for two touchdowns on under 200 yeah. yards passing, but there's rumors. The Broncos want Aaron Rodgers. There's rumors. They want Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. If those three are available, Teddy Bridgewater isn't back. Is he? No. First of all, I think honestly, you know, Teddy Bridgewater and Jared are probably the most, most to be compared as it relates to where they are with their teams out of all the quarterbacks. Both of them are decent quarterbacks to be in the NFL, but they're not the future of those franchises. Each franchise is going to be trying to get better at the quarterback position. If the Lions is not trying to get better at the quarterback position, I, I want to make a petition early, I'm going to be the first name that we forced the force to sell the team. Because if they're not trying to get a, find a quarterback. Now, I seen someone talk about Russell Wilson in Detroit. Now, Russell Wilson, even though he's laddered in his career, the Lions would bring a Russell Wilson in. He seems okay. like their kind of guy. He is their type of guy, but here's the problem. They're not close enough to be in competitive with where he wants to be right now in his career. That's what his problem was in Seattle. So he's going to come to a squad that is less talented. Nah, you know, now 
he going to um what team was I just thinking about? Going to New Orleans as an example, or going to uh what other team were they talking about? Giants were one of the teams I saw listed. Yeah, I don't think he fits the Giants. Even I though either. I think for Hollywood, he would be good for what he wanna do after ball if that's his move. But I think he wants to win another championship, you know. Um, man, I forget the other team that it was, but it was one that I felt was that they had Philadelphia, Philadelphia, no. Jalen Hurts, people just need to leave that situation alone. That guy. Thank you. They need to just let that do because he can win. Yep. Um, but it'll come to me, but was it Washington? Washington might have been one of them. Uh, Carolina, too. Those are some of the other teams. No, it wasn't Carolina, but it was, man, it was a team that it really did make sense that he would be a guy that I would look at, too, for them. They were, oh, Denver. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was Denver. He's perfect for Denver. Perfect for Denver. That's who the team was that they, I was like, now nah, all these teams Denver make sense because they got a good receiving core already in place. Already in place. They got a defense that is a good defense. Yeah. Okay. And he's a piece. And they are like two, three pieces, but they competitive. Okay, and he can be the difference in a situation like that. And when you compare, and even though the Broncos and the Lions has a similar uh, situation for the offense and the struggling of the quarterbacks, the Broncos is still a little bit better as a team in their system. They're more acquainted with their players in terms of what they're going to do, and I think they understand their limitations. I think the Denver Broncos' greatest limitation which people have identified as their coach. He's a good coordinator, but he's not a great coach for the head piece. And that's no knock on him from my opinion. That's what people are saying that's more acquainted with the Broncos than I are saying that. And then, but but I think a guy, you know, like him could definitely fit with the Lions too. You know, but if they if the Lions would make a move to bring a Wilson in here, you know, then they got to really make some moves because you only really own a two, three year at the most type deal. They'd you have know? to spend a lot of money to make Russ happy in Detroit for right now. I, I don't even think it's about the money. It's I, I, about I, I, it's getting, being getting able the players around them. Sorry, bring spending money to build up the team. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I apologize for cutting y'all. I know you were making your point, and your opinion is as good as mine. But I don't think for Russell, the incentive for his moving is like based on money. I yes. really do yes. believe he wants to win another championship. And in some cases, you'll make an allowance in the salary if you really got a chance. But if you don't, if you walking in a situation and it's all on your back, okay, then shit, load the load the wagon, put the money, I'll put it all back there because. If I got a carry, then got give me mine, you know. But I think he's at a different point in his life, you Definitely. know. Definitely, maybe in in two years the Lions have built up the roster, then they become the desired home for the guys like Russell Wilson. Well, let's let's hope that there are some youngsters out there that we can grab. 
right? That can become like uh, Kurt Warner. Mm. Not on the radar, but do well enough to lead that team to a championship. So with that being said, then, do you think the Lions should go young at quarterback, someone in the draft, or maybe a younger player that's in the league as a backup? Or what about guys such as Teddy Bridgewater from the Broncos? Because he and Campbell have that relationship. Again, Teddy coming in would have to be a secondary choice. He's never going to be the primary for no team going forward. His last real chance was when he was with New Orleans. That he had, not not New Orleans. Carolina? When he was with, no, when he was with Minnesota. Oh. Before yeah. he got his knee hurt. Mm. That was his last real chance is being penciled in, walking in the starter, and they trying to build the program around him. Gotcha. That was, that was the last time that I seen him in that role. Everywhere else he's been after that has been in a you know a designated hitter he's down for for a role you know yeah kind of designated hitters a good way to put it i was gonna say the bridge quarterback but it kind of means the same thing and yeah that's one of the placeholder i don't like saying placeholder but that's what the hell you holding until we get what we want you know truly and it's kind of felt like the Broncos have had a lot of placeholders since Peyton Manning retired. They had Osweiler, they had Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, and none of them panned out. So is that something where you're too good at quarterback to evaluate the quarterback position because no one you evaluate is going to be John Elway? Well, again, there's two, there's two port, there's three edges to that sword, right? One, John Elway is the tipping point. He's the tip of the sword, right? Mm -hmm. Now on this side, you got all of what Peyton and John has done. So that blade cuts that way. (laughs) Then you swing back, cutting the other way. And you have to live down all of the expectation of the fans because they enjoyed everything that got sliced by John and Peyton. Now, by John being the decision maker and the general manager, that's why I say he's the point. Everyone looks at the decisions that he's had to make, which he's made some good decisions. And a lot of people have really criticized him on some of the other decisions that he's made. All right. But here's the difference. John Elway understands football, right? He knows what it takes, but he also had a Shanahan. Go back and list the coaches. Those coaches are running systems that they're acquainted with. John hired them to come in with a system, so it's really his job to get the personnel that they want. But again, the general manager, head coach, and quarterback take responsibility for everything going on with the team. And the owner answers when he's on location. But if he's not on location... The general manager, head coach, 
a quarterback. That's who's going to catch questions every day. You know, so I just say that he hadn't done a bad job. You know, I don't believe, you know, sometimes, you know, when I remember when he signed Case Keenan, you know, that was a situation where they were just didn't have a quarterback. Yeah. You know, and, he, you know, he came in, played a little bit, and then they turned back around and gave him a contract. But long, short situations, you know, you never know what it is. It could have been the system. could have been what Shanahan wanted, as an example, versus what was out there. Yeah, and to your to your point, too, it's not as if the Broncos roster has been bad. At times, it's just been a quarterback away. John Elway put together some good football teams that may be missing a piece or two. But if he does land a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers, uh, that, uh, that goes a long way to solving that problem. Yeah, well, Aaron Rodgers is definitely a long shot. Yeah, you don't think he's going to I think, think Russell Wilson today? is more like... Uh, Green Bay would probably trade him now or uh, would want him to go somewhere like that, but that'd be a long shot. Going with Russ to Denver. It's going to be fun to see. I think it'll be a, I I do think it'll be a, honestly, you know, honestly, Aaron Rodgers would be great for him too, though. Mm -hmm. He really, he really would, you know, but I think for the style of play, you know, Russell, the way he plays, Denver could be a good fit for him. I'm excited this offseason with these QB carousels because we're we're still over a month away from the end of the season and all these rumors are flying this way, that way. This guy's going to sign with this team. This head coach is gone. It's It's a funny time to be an NFL commentator right now with all the shenanigans going on. Yeah. Well, you know, that's how the game is. And I think with free agency and, you know, I, I I look at like how the parody is and you look at the records of the other teams and stuff. It seems like there's some parody, you know, because, you know, you don't have no real explosive records out there. Everybody is playing, you know, middle of the fence type football. You know, no one has just separated themselves and said we are the very best in the game. Look at the wild cards and the records and shit. You know, it's nothing that says, oh, you know, they're going to be there for sure. You know, in four weeks, though, some of those teams can be taken off of that board. That's how close it is. It is. It's it's like like this. There is just no separation in some of these divisions right now. So who do you think are the teams to beat then in the AFC and the NFC? Do you have any favorites right now, or is it still kind of? I, I think I, I'm gonna tell you two of the better teams that I think that are out there. When I look west, not just saying AFC, I, you know, when I look toward the west, of course, far west we got the Rams. Mm-hmm. Then Arizona is good. You know, I think they. They got a pretty good squad, you know, which is going to be a test, a little test for IS. Um, and then when you look at Kansas City, I think, you know, Kansas City, you know, they can still pull it together. You know, you got four games 
you know, you only got to hit the stride at the end, <laughs> you know. Um, so I'm not counting them out. And then I think, oof, can't discount Green Bay, you know. Can't, can't discount them. Can't discount Tom Brady either. It's Well, no, that's why I'm coming from the west to the east. Ah. To the east, you know, because I can't, you know, when I'm trying to put them in conferences and stuff, I I have to think. Gotcha. Or, I, I I'm a spatial, a visual guy. They say photographic memory, so I'm going from the west to the Midwest, and I'm gonna get to the east. Who I think like in the Northeast, what team I think is good up there? None of them, <laughs> except I with New England, of course, being one. That earn, but I don't see them as no runaway favorite. No, they're the no, no team in the Northeast. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you get toward Tom Brady, you know he he that's a that's the factor. You know, so definitely count them as one of the better teams, especially if they get in the playoffs. They're gonna be hard to beat. That's just a fact. Yeah. So those Brady. are. Kind of, and, and of course, now down here in Texas, you know them damn cowboys. <laughs> the cowpoke. Lord. Ah. <laughs> oh boy, it would be absolutely unbearable for you should the cowboys go on a run here. Well, actually, you know, believe it or not, I, I root for them after I root for my teams. Okay. So, so, so I, I don't throw them away fully. Jerry Jones has been good to Jerry Ball. I, I'm not going to lie. You know, Jerry Jones, actually, when I had an NFL license, Al Davis told Jerry to call over to J.C. Penis and set an appointment for me. And he set an appointment at such a high level with J.C. Penis that they asked me how big did I want to be. And I was already understanding I had seven figures already invested. And if I would have said $100 million, we were going to program a hundred million, but I was thinking how much money I had tied up in the business. And I knew I could only handle so much. So I didn't say that number, but I should have said that number because they would have, you know, helped finance it and would have programmed it and helped me build the brand out. But I was in 200 stores. Jerry Jones set that up for me. And I had an NFL license, Hasbro license. I had Disney license. I had college licenses. I had Looney Tunes, Warner Brothers. I made stuff for Warner Brothers for their studio lot. So some of the shirts, they would go there and buy, made that. I don't know if you remember when the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was mm-hmm. actually on. I used to, there's a, there was a guy that actually came up with the brand with the black colleges. But he had the brand and he could make only a few. And I helped them by helping them manufacture that. You know, and all this I was doing while I was playing ball, too. You know, Not just balling on the field, balling in the business world as well, you making better, moves. You better believe it. That's a fact. <laughs> and matter of fact, I, I was the first player ever to have an NFL license, 100% ownership. And when you have a license, that meant that I was, not only was I a player active, I was a partner with the owner on the other side, paying them a royalty out for everything I sell. 
So I was on both sides of the equation. So I know the business side of it, and I also know the player side of it. That's why when I was a player rep, it wasn't much shit you can get past me because I'm getting the information from the Sporting Sporting Good Manufacturing Association that's telling me this is how much revenue you guys did in NFL merchandise, which was being underreported while we're negotiating the CBA. Get really? what I'm saying? They were underreporting oh, yeah. your numbers for your business. Yeah. Not, not, no, not, not my business. Not uh. my business. No, let me let me kind of break it down. And boy, here, here's another one. There, there go the drag gang, grand king. No, but, <laughs> but <laughs> no, honest, this is what it was. All right. In the NFL license, this is the time when branding and licensing was just getting started. People talk about branding and licensing right now, but they don't really understand branding, intellectual property and how to really institutionalize that, okay? People are just saying they they won't, don't want to disrupt their brand or damage their brand, but you, if you ain't trademarked it, copyrighted it, any of it, I could go out and get it, and, you know, then it's my brand. Yeah. Your name, yeah. but it's my brand, right? Now, so, but in this process, when we're doing the collective bargaining agreement, the Reggie White Settlement, the owners are agreeing to share revenue that would create the salary cap that they would use to determine how much they would have to pay the players. So if they report that they sold a billion dollars of starter merchandise and they received, let's say, $200 million off of the billion. And they're going to give us 50% of it toward the salary cap. That meant 100 million would go toward the salary cap. Mm -hmm. But if that number is 4 billion and you do that same equation, it's a different number. So the salary cap where it is today should have been that in the in 90s based on actual revenue that was being earned. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, blow the scene up. But it's just, it's like one of those things that I heard uh, the artist Master P says. He says, if you're sending me a royalty check that says domestic royalty, but my music is selling internationally, then where's the international check? Yeah. Because you're accounting for it. And that's kind of one of those same things. On this ledger that you got the players focused on, it says this. But over here in the business world where I'm at, and I'm a partner with them, I know that it's four times the revenue that you're reporting that we agreeing that you're going to share as a part of the salary cap or what we call designated gross revenue is what it's termed. So under designated gross revenue, that's how they determine what the salary cap will be. And so if you play with that, then the salary cap goes lower. It's lower. And they oh. keep more money. Come on, man. They didn't become billionaires by giving it away. Now, that's a fact. <laughs> that is, that's a couple facts right there. <laughs> oh, but anyway. Yeah. This but anyway. That's that's the nature of the business and 
of the NFL. It's it's an unfortunate reality. Well, listen here, and this is one thing, you know. There's a a, a a Bible verse that say that of the wicked is laid up for the righteous and the just. I try to live my life being righteous and just, meaning that I'm not doing any harm to anyone. And if it's anything, it's going to be self-inflicted. But I try to be just in my decisions and things that I do because I know that I want to be treated just like anybody else with respect and as a human. All right. So when this thing is going through that process, I'm not trying to blow up the scene because of the businesses, because I also see the aspects of the cost benefit of what it is doing in families and communities. So why would I disconnect something or do damage to something that still is doing great work in the community? Because when the resources come to me and I go do a camp or I support a community effort, you know. I'm still getting the benefit of the transfer. On the business side, in a greater scheme, that's where my union is supposed to be representing us better. It's because I was a businessman and I was a player that I got a chance to see the business side. But if we're not auditing them or we're not putting in place the proper checks and balances or we don't understand how revenue is counted, then that's a whole different thing. As a matter of fact, if it was me, I would audit our union before I would audit the NFL. Interesting. <laughs> because I feel, yeah, our union, I feel, is is robbing us as players. They're taking the our intellectual. Well, they take they've taken our intellectual property, as an example, in the Reggie White settlement. Okay, and fans, I'm just trying to put you, as they say, put you up on game. In the Reggie Wright settlement, Gene Upshaw struck a deal that any player, they put the language in the CBA that any player that actually played in the NFL and signed the NFL contract had to become a member of the union. That's illegal. Yep. Very much okay. so. But that shit is in the CBA. Now, if a player didn't give their union dues, our union, and I think when the last time I read it, it was in section six, our union would have the ability of actually executing a letter to the NFL, asking them to suspend us from work until we gave them the dues. That's not how that's supposed to work. But that's how it was negotiated, and that's in the language of the CBA. But again, all of these Wharton, Harvard, you know, people that's representing athletes, that are also representing some of these owners, that are also understanding the bigger picture of the economics of the business. Again, if the players are not going to force the union to to literally do their job, then these type of things are always going to be. The way that the union will shut me down, they say one player isn't bigger than the whole. I'm not. But I'm the only player that had the license that got the data 
And when I shared it with some of the people that say this, all of them got promoted to being directors and board members because of the information I gave them. They came and struck deals with them. And we that means that some of the players took money or took situations or are employed right now to be quiet. Again, I'm not trying to blow it up. It's just the facts. Again, righteous and just. And the way that it comes to me is that, again, I have an NFL license, but I'm represented by a law firm that was representing Ralph Wilson, the owner of the Buffalo Bills. So when we're dealing with this Reggie White settlement, because you got a plaintiff and a, and a defendant on the inside of the same law firm, this law firm name is Dyke McGossett, the largest law firm in Michigan at the time. And I had a partner and he had a partner. We both were in court on opposite sides, but by the integrity of the law, we have to exchange files. So I would see everything that's in his files. He would see everything in my files so that the firm wouldn't give neither one of us a competitive advantage over the, the other. And when I got Ralph Wilson files, that was a federal deposition that was filed by Norman Brayman that he paid $100 million under the table to our union to settle this, that they wasn't telling the court or the class, which is, means the players. So when you the player that find that, then all of a sudden, you know, people wants to be hands off or let's say at a level trying to blackball me, but I can play ball. So I ain't worried about playing football, but in this situation, what do I do? So what I do, I bring it to some of the elite players and I mm -hmm. share it with them. Because at this time, we had the NFL properties was actually coaching us through the whole marketing aspect. They're helping our businesses, you know? So while we're doing that, we're flying different places, just meeting. And the gentleman from the NFL told us before it happened that Gene was going to do that and told us to actually go out and make sure that we set up another company that could represent players because after they sign this agreement, if it's not grandfathered in, there will be no other organization that could represent players. Wow. And I set that up, me and Ronnie Lott. We set it up. It's, a, it's called the Hitters Club. It was set up in Delaware. We're the only entity that is established that could actually go out now and represent players. But that's not what we were trying to do. We was coached to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? We love the NFL. The NFL been good to us. But that's how the business was taking place during that time. You know? Yeah. Yeah, wow. I, and I know that, and I, and I know this is real heavy for a lot of folks to understand and hear. But I promise you this: the commissioner know what I'm talking about. Yes, he the does. The former commissioner yes. know what I'm talking about. The judge Doty know what I'm talking about. Norman Brayman knows what I'm talking about. Any owner that was actually an owner during that time know what I'm talking about.
And then after that, they sent a guy and they bought that team from him and gave Norman Brayman a hundred million dollars and he went on his way. And it just because I, of- I was saying, saying you should have sent me at least 10 to 20 million. Hell. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say shit. <laughs> didn't even have to buy Jerry Silence. <laughs> Come on. Uh, but just the way the NFL and businesses in general operate is just you, you almost wouldn't believe it until you hear these stories and you can't not believe it. Listen, this story is only known by a small group of people. They will never, ever, ever talk about this because they don't want no one to know about this. But when they're talking about Gene Upshaw sold out the players, this is what they're talking about. I am the person because of having an NFL license and being represented by this law firm got the information. And it was because of the legal course. I didn't have no idea that it existed. Hell, I was... On, I was a player rep too. So when we're having our meetings, nobody ain't talking about none of this stuff Norman Brayman was talking about in that document. We didn't even know that anything like that had taken place because they had hid it from the players. Our union, the way our union does business with us is like this. And anybody can, you can ask this. If there's a hundred issues on the table, they're going to make the decision on 80 of them and give the players 20 of them to talk to, to be distracted. But the real decisions, the people in that workforce are making them decisions without our input. That's why D. Maurice, the reason why this guy shouldn't be the actual head of the union, but they got it so fixed that you can't even raise an issue to challenge him to fire him. That's because just, you got to get you got to get approval from the people that's benefiting that's a part of the whole setup. So you can't even fire him. You couldn't even get an audience. It's to a level where you have to submit things to the board member to table something to be at a meeting, and then the board decides whether or not it's important or not. And then you find out who's the board members and is the very people who you want to bring a complaint against. That's that's how they got it wired. Or when they got a retired system out here that's supposed to be assisting players called the it's called the NFL player retired chapter. And everybody thinks that the player union represent retired players. No, by the bylaws, they say in the bylaws that the NFLPA does not represent anyone but active players. So what they did, they went out and created a 501c6, which is like a chamber of commerce. There's about five cities that have a retired chapter that fall as incorporated as businesses. I think Chicago, Washington, Dallas, and others, they have their set up, but most of all the other retired chapters were set up as a 501c6, which means it's a chamber of commerce. And in, in, as the IRS standard. And then when you look at those rules and you see that 
the taxes are being done by the D.C. office because you don't have nobody in Texas that's filing it. Or in Virginia that's filing it, it's all being filed in D.C. So how does a 501c3, which is a separate entity, do the taxes for a 501c6? And it's a totally separate entity, and they both got two different statutes of standards by the IRS code. Yeah. All right? So those are the type of things when, again, I'm managing the process, I'm in the business, these things are so blatant. You know how how I get into to knowing all this is because I asked them to give me the retired chapter to give me some bylaws, and in the bylaws, this gentleman, which was a former player that's an attorney now, he's an acting attorney, and the documents he handed me was so raggedy. We're in Texas, and it said that it needed to be handled in the state of Virginia. Then it had cut and paste things that was literally disclaimers that was indemnifying him for what he's doing under Texas statute. But then when you understand the ARIA's laws, it says that no one that is an officer can receive more benefit than any of the members of the 501c6. In other words, all chamber members would be equal. This guy in there soliciting for, you know, retired players' businesses and things, which is what we're not supposed to do. But then if you had a business, then they want to charge you to come present something to the other players. Mm, so yeah, so it's so just yeah. it's just so much contradiction of what should happen that it can't even get organized because those people like this particular guy, when I asked him why did he want to become player rep is because he said when he was a player that he didn't get a chance to make the money like we made when the PA would call us to go do an appearance with Frito-Lay or, or doing something, but now was his time as a retired player. Now he's going to try to go and make his money. That, that's people's right, so livelihood. That's the type of stuff that you're dealing with. So guess what I do, Jack? I stepped away from the game because I know it ain't no sense in me getting You guys are not ready for where I am. Because I'm going to bring the facts. And if you can't address this in a very intelligent way, then I already know that you got something in this. Yeah. You know? So I'll, I just step back and stay in my world. I can't say I blame you for that at all. But yeah. as, as always, Jerry Ball will stand up for what's right and will tell the truth no matter what. And I'm No matter what. Thank you for sharing those stories, and I applaud you for your honesty and your courage. Yeah, yeah, it takes that because trust Truly. me, I was being blackballed. Yeah, the I only team only that actually was, oh, the only team that signed me was the Raiders, but I wanted to play for the Raiders. You know, yeah, leave they were blackballing me. Leave it to they, Al Davis it was, to huh? stay, leave leave it to Al Davis though to be the one to say. No, he deserves a job. We're signing him. Wow. No doubt. And then paid me. Well, anyway. <laughs> but no, <laughs> credit to you and credit to Al Davis. And thank you for sharing that story. And for. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
Just wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is something to sit on, and I hope uh, we can all just take a minute to think on that for a little bit. Yeah. And anytime that you're on, the, on when we have Lomas on, you can ask him any of this. You know? And, and you know what was crazy? What made me get into the licensing business, this is what it was. This is literally what happened. I'm down at a local drugstore, regional store, and it has these Detroit Lions shirts because we're winning now. We're starting to win. So this is like 89.90. So they got all these shirts and they got images of all of us, but it's like about nine, 10 guys on the shirt. So just so happened the next day, we're having a players union meeting and Gene Upshaw is supposed to come. He makes his round every year. So this is his time to come to Detroit. We're going to have a meeting. And it's right before the meeting, guys started in the in the meeting room started talking about the T-shirt and who did the T-shirt because ain't nobody's paying us for our images. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't know anything about that shirt. We'll look into it. Where on the outside, Lomas and I were talking with Braxton Banks, God rest his soul. He played at Notre Dame about the shirt because we're trying to put the agenda of what we're going to talk about before we go back in the meeting room. And we tell him about the shirt. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we did that shirt. But inside, Gene Upshaw saying he don't know nothing about it. So when we get to that part of the meeting and we're asking about the shirt, Gene was like, yeah, I don't know who did that shirt. And Brad said, nah, Gene, no, that's the shirt. You approved that shirt. Remember you called and said, hey, the Detroit shirt need to get out of And the guy said everything that he had participated in and getting it done. So because of that, I did my research and I ended up starting the T-shirt business. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to make shirt for us. And I started it that way, and then when it got a license, and then I, I, I hired the guy that I hired. His name was Robin Brent. Now I'm gonna tell you, this guy here did all of the bad boy memorabilia. I went to the company that was making it. He was the person doing the designs and everything. The Pistons logo, when he actually, it actually changed to that black stallion with the muffler. That was created on my computer by the same gentleman. So I had one of the very best guys in this business. And he came in and he did some stuff for me, Barry, and all those guys. And then I got the quarterback club and everything. I even made sure he was a part of my Sports Illustrated article to show his work. But that guy established me because you could have started a t shirt, but if you don't have the right you know, right time and everybody's on that whole trend, bad boy. And he just took it and moved it over to the lines with the lines pride and thumbs up and all that stuff. So anyway, that's how I started it. And that's how it all came about. Gene lying to us as players that they making this money and going to tell us they don't know nothing about it. Then, okay, well, we'll make our own shirts then. And that's what I did. 
And then funny enough, you're the one that kind of uncovers all the other things that they were lying about. Exactly. Because I'm in the business. You know, and be having that license, I got to be a part of the Sporting Goods Manufacturing Association. And they count all retail sales for all stores. So every starter jacket that was sold, they counted that. And that's the what was shorted the most was the starter jackets. Really? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's 1990. We started it in 90. All this other stuff came out in 92, 90. And then they settled it in 93. So that's in this three-year window all this is taking place. What a wild three years that would have been. And here we are now, and uh, we're we're still pushing forward and still hoping to – Push the push some things forward and make life better in the NFL for players, current and former. Well, no doubt. I, I think you know it is. It's already better. You know, it's some of the things that has come here in the last years should have been here for the older players. I think the the biggest thing right now is to really try to get some of the retroactive money to some of the older players because some of these guys' pension are like $400, $500, man. Yeah. That's- you know, and, and to me, you know, shit, man, they should have been, you know, brought those guys up. And they did them, gave them a bump. I ain't going to lie and say that, but they should give them a bump at the same level. If they need to bring them up to the players that was in my era at least. The, the players, what they getting right now, shit, man. If we was to get in that, man, that shit, that's... Yeah, take, take care of the people that took care of you and helped you build the NFL. Foundation of it, that's right. Especially with the vast amounts of wealth. It's it's the least you can do to take care of your, your veterans and your uh, people who made yeah. you as a business. Correct. Uh, so any other pluggables we want to plug or any conversations we want to go out on here, Jerry? Well, no, I just think, you know, for where we are in this part of the season, you know, the guys talked about playing Dan, talked about the guys. He'll see who they are and what kind of pride they bring forward. I think everybody's professional and guys are going to play with a lot of pride. But. You know, we just hope that, you know, it can get some momentum and something that can be built on in these last games that they can take going forward. Um, And and I'm not going to say this, but just I'm going to put it as a place marker for a future, uh, a future idea about the future of the Lions that I'm going to say but i don't want to speak nothing over nobody's else you know life or situation but i'm gonna make an observation and, and it would be a bold move for the lions but when you at this situation you gotta be bold all right i gotta be bold this off season yeah it's going to be, it's a time to be bold, a time to swing for the fences and a time to right some wrongs and get the ship headed in the right direction. Yep. Yep. And with that, you ready to break it down, Jerry? Yes, sir. One, two, three. We believe. We believe. Peace. I believe, I believe, I believe.
Lions. Say it with me. I love the Lions. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.